Have you ever stopped to think about yourself and your story? If someone were to write your memoir, what would it say? We all seek some level of authenticity, but have trouble removing the labels and finding our whole story. Welcome to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. In this program, we'll explore diverse stories on identity to help determine what is truly yours. Now, here is your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. Hope you're feeling well and feeling safe. We're broadcasting live from St. Petersburg, Florida, with our guest, Stephanie Raffalock, who is in Austin, Texas, beautiful uh, city out west. And um, good morning, Stephanie. Hey, good morning, Diane. Nice to hear you. Stephanie has written a delightful little book on aging, a book that I really like for what it's not. It's not a guide as to how to stay young when we're no longer young. It's actually a completely different kind of guide. And we'll get to Stephanie in just a moment. We're going to first provide some context on what's going on in our world um, and just trying to make sense out of these crazy times. The novelist Arundhati Roy, uh, who wrote The God of Small Things, said, Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It's a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice, our hatreds, our avarice, our data banks, and dead ideas, our dead rivers, and our smoky skies behind us, or... We can walk lightly through with little baggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. Ready to imagine another world. I'm so ready to do that. And I think we all are. Can't wait to get through um, this portal as everyone feels the same way um, and thinking that there is going to be a new vision and a shift in values. We certainly know who the heroes are, the healthcare workers who have been stretched beyond limits but still keep fighting, Um, the parents who are homeschooling, our local leaders who advocate for our interests, Um, a man in England, Stephanie, 99 years old, Tom Moore. He relies on a walking frame to get around, and he walked his 25-meter-long garden 100 times before his 100th birthday on April 30th. Why? To raise funds for the national charities, which includes health services. So Tom Moore, he hoped for about a thousand British pounds sterling. So far, he's just raised over, slightly over 17 million pounds. That kind of outpouring just feels right, right now as we look for the ways to make things better and to show appreciation for health services. I have a much smaller example. My cousin Joyce and I contribute $25, $10 gift cards to the local, from the local deli chain for the caregivers at my mom's assisted living facility every few weeks. It's small, but it says thanks. And so I know we're all trying to look for those ways to reach out. Stephanie's book, a delightful little book on aging, it's small, but there's a big reward. It's a really easy, breezy read. But then when you stop to think of some of the nuggets that Stephanie's tucked in there, it's not such a little book. It stays with you. 
And some of the ideas are prescient, like the value of slowing down, stopping to notice, writing in our journals and reading more. Stephanie, you write, life has never been so full. And I mean, and I don't mean with busyness. Life has never been so full. And I don't mean with busyness. I mean with intent. And I know that with COVID-19, there's a lot of um, fullness of intent and diminishment of busyness, sometimes much to our benefit. It's very apt for our time. Another nugget is um, gratitude. Now that we faced a time when we find we can take nothing for granted, it's so much more important to be thankful for what we have. It's easy to complain about what we've lost, but let's try to be thankful for what we do have because as this pandemic has shown us, we don't really know what's next. I'm feeling the urgency to get daily boosts of positive thinking and affirmation. And Stephanie Raffalock gives us some gems here and on her podcast, Coffee Table Wisdom, a program that promotes healthy aging in body, mind, and spirit. Stephanie is the real deal here. She writes about wellness, and it doesn't get any more important than that right now. A little bit of background, Stephanie Raffalock is the author of a delightful little book on aging, published by She Writes Press, April 2020, that's this month. A graduate of Naropa University's program in writing and poetics, Stephanie has penned articles for numerous publications, including the Aspen Times, the Rogue Valley Messenger, Nexus Magazine, Omaha Lifestyles, care2.com, 60andme.com. She's also a host for Coffee Table Wisdom, a program that promotes healthy aging in body, mind, and spirit, like we said. A recent transplant to Austin, Texas, Stephanie enjoys life with her husband, Dean, and their Labrador retriever, Cheater, yes, named after the great Yankee shortstop. She lives an active life of hiking, Pilates, and swimming, trying to offset the amount of time that she spends in her head thinking up stories and essays. Welcome, Stephanie Raffalock. So great to have you with us. Thank you so much, Diane. Your book is divided into parts. We'll do the deep dive right now. Those parts are called Grief, Reclamation, Vision, and Laughter, and um, Growing up, my close friend was Russian, so I'm going to start with the laughter and work backwards, like reading backwards. Um, the the grace of humor, um, and you, you write about how you enjoy the Christmas holidays best, because then you can have a glass of wine in one hand and a cookie in the other, and no one judges you. And I thought, this right. is... This is absolutely awesome, and maybe we'll carry some of that tolerance with us now as we all just try to cope um, with what's going on and um, finding that we all get forgetful and preoccupied staring into space these days. Um, Tell us how you got interested in writing about aging. Was there a stereotype that you found didn't fit you as you grew more mature? Well, it was really my reading audience that educated me about aging. Uh, I was at a place in my life where I was looking for places to publish, and I found a website called 60andme.com that was geared towards women 60 and above, and I began writing for them. What I didn't expect was the kind of feedback that I got from women my age and some men 
who said, we don't want to go gently into that good night. This whole retirement thing is like retirement is a word that doesn't really convey what it means to go through this passage these days because so many people are working longer. Some people still retire, but it's not the kind of retirement of our parents where, you know, you you sit back during the day and maybe you play a little golf and that's it. Um, There is a great creative surge to living 60 and beyond if we pay homage to that, if we pay attention to that, and allow ourselves to become more creative at this time. So all around me, I see women flourishing in politics, in um, encore careers, in mentoring. It's, it's expansive. It, it should, mm-hmm. Aging should not be a contraction. And I think that up until this point in history, we've treated aging as this great contraction. And in truth, it's this great expansion. So that's right. how I got into writing about it. That's a long answer to a short question was oh, the no. feedback I got from women. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's brilliant because I think that in previous generations, um, it seemed as though I've reached stages where I felt almost very sorry for my mother because she and her cohort typically don't develop the passions, the sense of purpose outside of caregiving for partners. Nothing wrong with that. It's definitely needed. But, you know, outside of husbands um, and partners, there, there weren't any really compelling interests that made her want to get up in the morning after those, um, sadly, after my dad was gone and after her second partner was mm-hmm. gone. So I think there's an evolution there that's that's gone, you know, in parallel to what you're writing about. Um, you, you talk about um, purpose in life and you talk about um, a friend of yours, Austin. Um, I'll, I'll just read a, a snippet. Austin had a purpose in her life. Her hair is white, her hands are bony and veined, and she has beautiful hands, hands that know the wisdom and wonder of making art. And so she, she gets up and she paints. And, and this is something that she's excited about each day. And really, it's something that can be a focus for us right now that takes our mind off of what's going on. Even if we're a little self-absorbed, you point to people like Austin as a role model. Um, and I, I think that, you know, you it's not just women around us, Stephanie, it's you. You are also empowering by your, by your example. Um, do you think that we're, um, you know, just doing better at this in terms of finding creative juice at later in life? Um, or are we tipping the scales into busyness? Um, or is it? A no, I don't think that we're tipping the scales into busyness. Um, I do believe it is an evolution. And part of it are the far reaching tentacles of the um, women's movement that began as I was coming of age. And what feminism means in older age, um, it is more difficult in this country for a woman to grow older than it is a man. Um, Usually they have less money. Um, I'll bet you the farm that no one has ever said to Warren Buffett, have you ever thought about getting a little lift, you know, right here? (laughs) But women hear that all the time. So this is an evolution of women finding out that even as they grow older, they can stand in the light of their truth and say, I have purpose and significance to my life, and I don't 
need to be just an object of care. Um, just as in my generation, the word girl kind of carried over into your womanly years. And it stopped working a while ago because women wanted to become mature women and grow into individuals. And similarly, with growing older for a woman, we still want to continue growing into that individual that we know we are. And just because you turn 65 doesn't mean that spiritual growth and psychological growth comes to an end. I would like to believe that we develop right up until the day we die, that we have that potential within us. It looks different, but everything does. I mean, look at how different our world looks right now. And yet we're drawing upon the tools that we know. It's like, we're going to reinvent ourselves. We know what reinvention is. That's what's going to get us through that portal. And I loved that piece, by the way, from the God of Small Things that you read this morning. Thank you. I do too. And I think about what you just said in terms of maintaining this kind of carapace, this outer body image um, and we've all seen so many examples of it. Women who invariably start to look exactly like one another because the hair has to stay blonde. It has to stay straight and long. The lips have to be puffed out and everybody's smile is way too wide. Um, you, you know, and on it goes, the enhancements, the whitening, the tightening, um, all of it. And that maintenance I am here to tell you, I think, detracts from the impetus of growing as a person, from, you know, developing ourselves creatively, what you're talking about. And I I really have to go back to Roy's quote there, you know, if we're going to leave some luggage behind, let's leave more of that behind. <laughs> because honestly, when you're talking about your wellness program and, and you know, your, your activity, your exercise, your Pilates, you know, that's the kind of thing that actually makes us well. You know, taking a bunch of chemicals and pouring them on our head doesn't make us well. And I just right. think that, you know, this is just a great time to really declutter in that, in that way. Um, you write that in your town, and I'm thinking this is Austin now, seniors are valued participants. Um, and, I, you know, that's such a meaningful thing, too, you know, to feel as though you have, you count even as, you know, in, as you're not going gently into that night, which I'm so glad you brought that quote back. Um, I'm wondering about seniors in the pandemic in the sense that there's a certain amount of ostracization that goes on now. There's a lot of sequestering of seniors. You know, how they're, I really kind of worry, you know, how are they making out being sequestered all alone? And in some ways, even being regarded as, you know, vulnerable and, and kind of distanced even more than we all are by this by this, you know, disease, by this pandemic. I mean, that's kind of a twofold issue, Diane. Um, We, as a culture, you know, we call older citizens from the herd, you know, and we place them over here in isolation and ask any mental health expert and they'll tell you that isolation is not good for one's mental or physical health. So, It's those people that I have the most concern about 
as well, yes. because once you yes. call somebody out from the herd and you put them in a pen, they become an object of care and lose that ability to be um, sovereign individual souls. The right. idea of striving for that is, is less. That's one right. side of things that needs a lot of work in our society. But the other side of that is I don't think that anyone is more equipped to share with us the wisdom of navigating the waters that we're in right now than a person who is in the process of growing older. And what I mean by that is I know the truth of growing older is that it takes place against the backdrop of grief, that there is loss to be dealt with all of the time, and that the truth of life is that even with intent and purpose, one feels more vulnerable because physically you just are. So that really describes what's going on in this pandemic. This pandemic Mm -hmm. takes place against a backdrop of loss loss and grief. And the playing field has been leveled. We are all vulnerable right now. We're all on it. It, Exactly. It's connected us in a way. We have uh, less than a minute to go, but I'm just, I'm going to um, strike a chord of absolute agreement there. The sovereignty of uh, an agency of the elderly and their shared wisdom as uh, occurs in many Eastern um, cultures. And I second that notion because the happiest people I know are my 80 year old neighbors who She's made me a mask, and they have the most philosophical outlook about all of this, a real way that we could all learn. Right now, we're going to stop and take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk more with Stephanie Raffalock about the idea of deadlines and how we've all come up against one. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Has your manuscript languished because you can't find the direction it wants to take? Or have you lost the motivation to finish and polish it for publication because it can be such a big, formidable task? Let Diane Dewey help you resolve your writing issues. Diane's manuscript coaching offers help with sticking points like the arc of your story and how to flesh it out finding the inner story and what you want to say, developing your message, the revelations that become your reader's takeaways, helping to rally the motivation to finish your project, and what to do next. We can analyze, edit, and advise you on publishing. Who are the next collaborators on your writing path? If you seek resolution to these and other questions, please contact Diane Dewey, author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Find her at truenordmedia.com. That's T-R-U-N-O-R-D media.com or on her author's page, dianedewey.com. Diane can also be found through social media. Connect with her through the links on the show page. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. We're here with Stephanie Raffalock, author of a beautiful and delightful little book on aging. The title is A Delightful Little Book on Aging. Um, It's published by She Writes Press this month. It's a really a must read because there's so much in a very small pocket size book but it will grow on you in ways that um, are just very, very helpful, practically, spiritually, mentally, in this crazy time that we're living through. Just before the break, we started talking about how uh, older people, and I'm just going to throw my hat right in that ring, are, are, you know, those of us that have been around for a while, and certainly beyond my my decades, have, when the going gets tough, they get going. I mean, here's this 99-year-old from the NPR show who decided, hey, I'm going to raise some funds. I'm going to walk around my garden a hundred times. And, you know, I mean, this is resourcefulness. Of course, he's lived through the Second World War. And, you know, there's a perspective there, right, Stephanie, that, you know, yes. we don't even have. How do we access that? How do we access the voice of, of older people more? I think that both older people and younger people in our culture need to learn to listen to each other more carefully. It's it's one thing to have an organic unfolding of your own elder wisdom because of perspective. It's another thing then to try to push that onto someone else. Um, the way that I think younger people hear that message is by listening and questioning the way that we can best give it is also by listening first. Mm-hmm. So I know that's a little bit like the, the cart before the horse, but I think listening first is what organically leads us to to that place. Absolutely. I think that's very wise. And even the questioning part, I think, is applicable. Some of the best advice I've ever gotten was from a friend who asked me the question that he wanted to tell me the answer to so that I came to it myself. And I think right. that, you know, there you have really hit on something. It's not about being didactic, teaching, pandemic. It's, it's really about creating this portal, right? This questioning, listening portal. And I think that your book goes a long way to opening the eyes of all of us who read it um, on, you know, hey, wait a minute, there's, you know, there's, there, I, I don't want to, I don't want to rush past this. You write that writing for you is a doorway into the examined life, a way to express the breadth of emotion I feel, a soul bath, this is beautiful, a soul bath that dries the tears of loss and inspires the joy of being alive. And I would 
just note, it's a doorway that works both ways. Readers and the writer, you know, can examine life through this. Um, I, I know that you also touched on the fact that we're going through a shared period of loss and we have now leveled the playing field. Let's get back to that idea that we're now all much more vulnerable than we were pre-COVID. This idea of deadlines, are we going to start living like we mean it? Are we going to add to our resolve? What do you see um, as we move towards the sunset together on that horizon, eternity, where eternity lingers, also your words? What do you foresee happening? Well, ever the optimist... Of course, I want to see the best. I, I see this whole pandemic as a wake-up call on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. A wake-up call and also an opportunity for each one of us to ask ourselves individually, how will I make the most of my life today? You know that our heroes, doctors and nurses that get up every day and go fight this battle, are asking themselves that question. How can I do my best today? How can I be my best today? My hope is that that kind of questioning is what we pull in behind us rather than as in the, to go back to that original quote from the God of small things, you know, pulling in the smoky skies and the dirty rivers and, you know, the stuff that hasn't served us. Um, I do think when you read that particular passage about the smoky skies and the dirty rivers, one of the things that's happened in the last several weeks is air pollution has cleaned up. And I can't help but wonder if this simple solution has been in front of us all along. I read an article recently in a business magazine that said, really, there are 35% of the population that doesn't need to go to a brick-and-mortar place to do work. And you think, well, what if you could cut traffic all over the country by 35%? We'd certainly have cleaner skies. Right. You know, so I, think I would they, like to think those good things are, are what is going to follow us. Yes, I'm, I'm hopeful as well. Um, the, you know, I live on the Gulf Coast of Florida. The manatees and the dolphins are back. And it's such a, it's such a difference. And I think, you know, in order to ask ourselves these confrontational questions, we first have to be candid with what's going on. We had a hard time doing that. So now we've realized by its absence, by unnecessary travel, you know, all of us were guilty of it, who, you know, jumped on a plane, jumped on a bus, jumped on, you know, the here and there of it. And as you say, 30% of us can, my stepdaughter is far happier working from home, she's told us. You know, I mean, people might be able to really ask themselves the questions of what do I really need? And that will, will end up inevitably being far simpler than, than, than what we had. Um, but it does take a really candid, you know, it takes honesty. And I think the other thing that you bring up in your book time and time and again that I think is really helpful here is not being completely positive about everything all the time, looking at the shadow side, looking at what we've done to ourselves and where we've brought ourselves and not sugarcoating it. Even the, you know, the, the blurb on the front of your book um, from Andrea Pollard, 
a heartwarming companion for anyone who wishes to age without sugarcoating the losses. Right? So I think this is, and while continuing to live life with an open spirit, we can only wish for this, Stephanie. I I wonder about this sugarcoating. I mean, this seems endemic for several generations now, right? We've we've sugarcoated what we've been doing. That's part of it, Pretty right? much. <laughs> uh, the idea that um, we are entitled to convenience all of the time. That we don't know what life without convenience is. Um, the idea that we, we don't examine the shadow side of things. Now, I'm an optimistic person. I'm a positive and upbeat person. But that doesn't mean that I don't have room to hold the sorrow of the culture. I believe that it is the elder's job to hold the sorrow, to make a container for the sorrow of this culture right now. I believe that most of us do not weep nearly enough. And this is a time to weep, not really because it's negative, but to weep because there is loss all around us. And there is a kind of impotence that comes from an inability to do anything about that loss. We should be weeping more. We should be laughing more. It's, I think that love and loss are a cycle that you can't really have one without the other. That without loss, you never get to these questions. You never fully understand the depths of love. But also without love, loss is unbearable. Well, there's a duality, right? If things come in pairs and they come in opposites. And that's why your embrace of the shadow and your understanding of, you know, it's a time to weep. I really really, um, connect with that. You know, this sense of hopelessness or inability to affect change in, in what's happening, we are, in, we are engaging or experiencing firsthand in real time trauma. Trauma is that yes. which cannot be processed and which, for which we are helpless to do anything. So I think that, you know, your, your sense of the weeping, yes, it is the converse of laughing. You know, look at the look at comedy. Look at comedy and tragedy. Look at all of those um, polarities that you know encompass both. And I think that this this sense of loss and isolation. You know, I, I really have reached out even myself to say, you know, these people think they're dying alone. If they could hear our thoughts or feel our thoughts, mm. they they would be in a gigantic embrace. And it's, yeah. it's very, it's very, um, I, I, I welcome, you know, even just random, it's always something random, right? Because we don't permit ourselves to cry. So the other day I got an email from a, a friend of mine. She has completely turned her life around and she's just about to get her BA um, rather, you know, later, but better later than never and couldn't be more proud. You know, it was touching, but I, I really burst into tears. And it's, it's because we need to cry. We, we need yeah. something to turn the faucet on. Um, as you say, um, you know, people who are holding their feeling in become numb. You know, so what are the outlets yeah. that we have for this? Um, you know, what, what do you see yourself 
I mean, literally, I, don't, I know we don't have a how-to guide here, but, you know, how do we integrate much more of this into our lives? Is it about talking You know, more? I think you touched upon it um, in the opening of your show. You talk about um, authentic- authenticity. And I think authenticity is key that the work of the, well, the work of all of us really is to find the authentic heart. That's kind of the purpose, the overarching purpose. What is most authentic so that we don't shut anything out and also so that we welcome the breadth of experience that this world has to offer. It is authentic to weep when we see the kind of suffering that's going on in our world today. It is also authentic to smile and laugh when we see the hopefulness that arises through those gift cards that you, you and your friend give away. Um, in my neighborhood, the hopefulness comes from the kids who have taken to writing chalk messages on the sidewalks. You know, hop here to stay happy, and they'll draw like a hopscotch thing. And they draw flowers and rainbows and hearts. And, and uh, my favorite the other day was I, went, I saw one with flowers that said, Stay love. And I thought it was yeah. such a perfect poem. Stay love. Stay so love. It's, it's in the search for the authentic heart. The whole purpose of the examined life is to get to that authentic heart. You know, Joseph Campbell widely said, it's not... It's not the meaning that we really want so much. You know, we're always digging around for what something means. It's the rapture of the experience that we want. And the fullness of the experience in older life and in younger life is to live from this authentic place where it's all contained. All of the celebrations, all of the missteps, all of the sorrow, all of the joy. And you really can't have one without the other. It's like that old um, Zen symbol of, you know, the um, little bit of light in the dark on one side Mm -hmm. of the circle and a little bit of dark in the light on the other side of the circle. It's like we need all of those experiences. So you can be optimistic without sugarcoating it. And to me, that is the authentic place to live from. It's all things. It's everything. Well, you, you've, you've done a great service by bringing back Joseph Campbell. Um, and, you know, this, this sense of rapture, it's, it's always about emotions, right? It's not, it's not the lid on the emotions. It's unlidding the emotions. And I think that, you know, you are, you're, you're, you're touching really now at the heart of it. And I, I think that, you know, here you're, you're encouraging us also in this book um, I'm going to read a, a short quote. Is grief a negative emotion? I don't think so. This is Stephanie Raffalock. Mostly, we turn our face from grief because we're not well-versed with being in its presence. It requires us to sit still with suffering and be its witness. Okay. That's pretty huge right now, right? The scale of grief is really large. How do we sit with it? How do we not keep hitting the escape button? the buy button, you know, the, the, the send button, the consume button, we're going to have to find a way to sit and witness what is happening. Uh, and I like well, you know, to think so many of those distractions that you mm-hmm. just named are, have been taken from us. 
You, mm. you know, I mean, short of shopping on the Internet, um, we, we don't go out and do those things. We are left alone a great deal of the time. You can't just fill up your life with people the way that you used to. And so whether we like it or not, we're sort of being pushed into that sitting with what is. I, I have this little quote that I keep on my computer, and I wish I knew who wrote it, but I don't. It's not mine. But it says, help me to be less fearful of the measure of time and more fully alive in the time that simply is. Help me to live time, not just to simply use it, to breathe it in and return it in acts of love and presence. And that's what we're being really? called to do in this, these times, yes. I believe, is it that is you can return this time to live it, not just use it up return it in acts of love and presence. And sometimes I think to get to a point of self-respect where you can do that, you start by giving it away to someone else. Giving your kindness away grows the kindness in you. It's kind of a weird paradox, but it, it's not all just about you. Yeah, exactly. Kindness needs other people for, for it to grow. Love needs other people for it to grow. And sitting in the silence, if we can just sit with our suffering and think about the people that are doing the heroic work, doctors, nurses, people that aren't seeing their kids that are putting their lives at risk every day. My big one right now are the people at the grocery store. That's my one outing of the week is the grocery store and those people that stand behind the counters so that, you know, you can go in and still get food, put their lives at risk every day too. Yes. So I hold them in my heart. I breathe in deeply and think about those people. Um, there's a practice in Buddhism called metta practice, which the, the literal translation means gentle friendship. Mm-hmm. And really what the practice is, is to breathe in the the thoughts that you want, starting with yourself first and then extending to other people, may you be happy, may you be well, may you be safe, may you know peace. And there are thousands of variations on that. There's really no wrong way to do it. But it's that kind of practice of sitting still with this, um, whether it's listing your gratitudes when you're at the grocery store or it's doing a formal practice like metta, but something where gratitude enters the picture because gratitude will allow us to sit with the suffering that is. Not your suffering, not my suffering, just the suffering. Well, that's outstanding. Thank you, Stephanie, for that. And we are going to need to take a short break, but I do love to have... Um, a, a practice, a concept, an idea of what it might look like um, to be metta and also to step out of fear because fear will eat us. That That is for sure. So I love that you've given us some light and um, a way forward on that. When we come back, um, we're going to take a short break, uh, but we, we are going to come back with Stephanie Raffalak and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of other things that um, – that will just need to be heard, um, including Cocktail Mommy. Uh, that's one of her. Uh, <laughs> one of hers. And so, so we see that we can go really from, from the deep to the very light. And we probably need to do that more often than we know. 
Don't go away. We'll be right back with Stephanie Raffalock. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Has your manuscript languished because you can't find the direction it wants to take? Or have you lost the motivation to finish and polish it for publication because it can be such a big, formidable task? Let Diane Dewey help you resolve your writing issues. Diane's manuscript coaching offers help with sticking points like the arc of your story and how to flesh it out, finding the inner story and what you want to say, developing your message, the revelations that become your reader's takeaways, helping to rally the motivation to finish your project, and what to do next. We can analyze, edit, and advise you on publishing. Who are the next collaborators on your writing path? If you seek resolution to these and other questions, please contact Diane Dewey, author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Find her at truenordmedia.com. That's T-R-U-N-O-R-D media.com. Or on her author's page, dianedewey.com. Diane can also be found through social media. Connect with her through the links on the show page. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with the author of a delightful little book on aging, but it's really a delightful little book on living. And uh, the author, Stephanie Raffalak, has been sharing, I would say, some really good insights and um, secrets to living uh, in, in these crazy times. Sometimes it feels like, okay, this is really a big bummer. But you know what? We really, you know, we need to go there. And we've been talking about sitting, sitting with the suffering that's been going on. In a way, we're, we're so unaccustomed to that in, in our society, right? Because it's a very dynamic, acquisitive culture, shopping, acquiring new experiences, insatiability. Um, but, you know, realizing that human suffering is inevitable uh, and life is messy and this uh, imperfection um, is, you know, sometimes uh, extreme at times, like now, um, Stephanie gives us these, these words uh, of recalibration. 
uh, quote, in an attempt to restore well-being and balance, I am more focused than usual on a deliberate gratitude practice. This is the healing balm that never fails to turn things around for me. And, you know, she goes on to say that part of her practice was to write this post. And I, I think this healing balm that you've got going, Stephanie, it's, it's really awesome. And it's on the page, nearly every page of this book. Um, you also talk about grace is gratitude in action. Do you want to just speak to that for a moment? I thought it was such a beautiful thought. It's almost like putting gratitude as like um, a verb or it suddenly has a life do you want to speak to that a bit? Sure. I, I do think that gratitude has a life. And grace, grace is with us, I think, all of the time. But gratitude is a recognition of the grace. And that's why gratitude practice is so valuable. It pulls us away from a poor me kind of mentality. It gives us a break from the true and horrible suffering that's going on. And it also gives us a place to delight in the world. It does all of those things. That's why I walk it. That's why I try to practice it however I can, whenever I can. Uh, it's, that, it's that bit of magic, I think, in it one's life. That, it, it is. Yep. It's, tra- it's transformative. And I think that right now, um, it's just all too easy to look at the negative. It's all too easy to say, oh, my God, I can't go in the car to go and see my friends. I miss the hugs. I miss the stores. I miss, you know, um, we, have had, we have had to uh, curb our online shopping. Actually, there is, there, there is a little bit of compulsiveness that happens in a compensatory way. But I, I mean, I think, you know, you've, you've just also hit on the idea of like getting away from victimhood. And um, clearly one of the easiest traps to fall in with victimhood is looking at one's parents and <laughs> pointing the finger. <laughs> but let's just turn that finger back. Um, you, I love there was a, there, there are two or three um, very, I think, revealing um, more memoir like uh, segments in your book. Because you do, you do go into your, your, your personal life uh, as well. And you describe your mother. This was, I totally loved this. She was a fallen Catholic, a divorcee who later married a Mormon. Cocktail mommy and Mormon mommy. I like the cocktail mommy best. Um, then she, she, your mother, goes on and teaches you to knit. Uh, but she gave up on the knit, knitting lessons too soon. And though I learned how to knit in pearl, she never got around to teaching me how to cast off. <laughs> I thought to myself, this is a brilliant metaphor. You, you never, you never <laughs> learned the part about binding. Um, so that, right. you know, and then you, you go on to divulge that you know, endings and tying up loose ends are not your strong suit as a result. Um, do you, I mean, carrying that forward and, and do you um, also, is this, does this mean like also closure, this sense of binding or is it continuity or how would you describe that? Well, there's certainly a sense of closure, but I think more for me that that metaphor of not knowing how to tie up the loose ends reveals itself in my life as um, feeling like the interloper, that mm-hmm. I'm not well-rooted in um, a familial sense. And so I often feel like I'm, I got off the bus at the wrong stop. 
be able to quirk uh-huh. that I've carried far, far into my 60s. And, uh, you know, it just, it is what it is. Right. We all have those well, little ticks. Right. But the great part is that you're, you can talk about it. Um, I mean, I think, you know, well, and I can laugh about it and you can laugh about it. Exactly. I mean, rootedness, I'm right there with you. You know, it's the, I think, you know, you, you, you know, my story fairly well and many people do, but I, I think that, you know, the other part of your story, um, your memoir parts of your story, I loved this, wildness that was present in you as a child and in the more in the um, father father passage you you talk about um, you know he's he's out he's a park ranger right he's out in a park right and you you and you're very young and you really have the run of the place um you know you suggested it's to your detriment i don't i love this wildness and maybe rootedness is a is a good thing maybe it's something that you know we do feel we need to have and goodness knows the american history is steeped with you know family history and you know where i grew up near philadelphia it was all you know known family names just like boston is just like Dallas is, you know, it's it's something that maybe gets hyped up too much. Um, I'm kind of more, and because, and I have to feel that way too, you know, being adopted, adaptive to being adopted. But I mean, you talk about the wildness and I think, wow, there's no substitute for that. That's something, you know, you were, you were wild with nature and running around as a child there's no substitute for that. And I wonder if that's brought forth in you this, the notion of viability in later years, that you're that much oh, more interested in agency for yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there is a gift in that wildness. And I think that women of my age often go through a process of reclaiming what is wild in them. Mm-hmm. So that's the silver lining in that, call it lack of rootedness or the sense of being the interloper, is that there is this wild that allows me to experience the rapture of life. I still think it's a great thing to go barefoot, even if it's only on my front lawn, but to go barefoot, to be barefoot in the rain, to stand outside when it's rain and get soaking wet. These are great sensual delights of my life. And I think that a lot of us look to reclaim that wild part of ourselves where we're not so structured, we're not so um, obliged, and we just are, and it's, it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it doesn't rely on anything except our giving into, the, once again, the authenticity of heart. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love the whole, you know, you just immerse yourself, you know, you, you, you're far from thinking that, you know, and I love also in the book, you talk about how it's, we're doing art for art's sake now in later years. It's not achievement oriented anymore or goal oriented. And this kind of ties in with going out on the lawn, um, you know, which is dangerous here because there's so much fertilizer. But okay, with your bare feet and in the rain and, you know, experiencing not using, um, not using what you've acquired to shut yourself off from experience, but on the contrary, opening yourself up 
to, and I think, yes, you've reconnected with your rapture. It comes through on every page of your book. And I think that that, that part of it, um, you write, I trust what my heart tells me because of the essence of my life. The soul of me is what never changes. This, this is great also in the sense of timelessness. Yes, we're aging, but there's something that's never aged a bit. And thank goodness for it. Be glad of it. You know, this, um, this is a wonderful aspect. Um, I, I know that you, you say that you were a type A personality and every once in a while we relapse. <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I think that you really, you've, you've really given us this idea of, you know, take off the raincoat and go out and um, experience, um, experience passionately. Um, I, we have just a couple minutes left, um, and you know you're going to want to be able to connect with Stephanie Rapalock. It's a wonderful website, um, stephanierapalock.com. She's also on um, Instagram and Facebook. Um, but you you've talked here about your um, going in depth with your writing. Um, you're going in depth, more in depth, and you're welcoming the opportunity to do that. Uh, can we look forward to another book? Um, what is the you thing? Can. Oh, good. What? Okay, terrific. <laughs> the experience. You can look has... forward to it. Good. When? Um, October. Or, I'm sorry, not October. Um, fall of 2021. Um, okay. A book called Creatrix Rising, which is about wow. the creative surge that happened with women in midlife and beyond. Wonderful. Okay, I'm already psyched for that. I'm going to say, um, <clears throat> you know, you, here's, I'm just the, we've got one minute to go. And I'm, because I don't think people should be shamed um, at all about how they cope with where we are. You also advocate mindlessness, simply spacing out with the tube, the, the, the yep. puppy videos and with YouTube and one is optional. And I just say, not for me, it isn't. But it's been an absolute <laughs> blessing having you with us today, Stephanie. I really appreciate you sharing so much of yourself with us and a delightful little book on aging. Uh, StephanieRathalock.com, Facebook, Stephanie Rathalock, and all into Instagram and Twitter. It's just been a joy and a pleasure. Everyone celebrate your successes and others. Let's support one another. Let's take good care of one another. Until next week on Dropping In, be well. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you, Diane. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.